This episode is brought to you by Updater, the app that gets residents move in ready faster. Did you know that residents who are happy at their move in experience are 59% more likely to renew their lease? Move ins matter. So get them right with Updater. Visit go.updater.com forward slash Mike to learn more and receive a special gift when you book a demo. Welcome to Collective Conversations. I'm your host, Mike Brewer, and today I'm joined by Lisa Russell, business consultant from RJC Asset Management. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I was telling you right before we hit record, I was so excited about this conversation. I did a French press so that I have two full cups of coffee because I imagine it's just going to be a nonstop conversation. I At least know. I think. I am. I'm excited for it too. I, I really am. I, I, like I said, I've got my books ready. I mean, I, I am fully loaded. So. <laughs> well, let's just dive right in. I, well, I think maybe I'd love to hear your elevator speech or your introduction of yourself. I know you've been in the industry. I won't say the number, but for a while and you've seen a lot, but let's, uh, let's let you introduce yourself to our audience. Sure. Um, I have been in the business and I, I claim all 36 years. Um, I've been told that we're supposed to only say 25 plus or something to that to be politically correct. But I have worked it. I'm taking it. It's like, yeah. sorry, uh, 36 it is. Uh, um, but realistically, I stepped onto a college campus at 18 years old and I went to the housing department. And back then, there was no professional housing department. It was the assistant baseball uh, coach. He had his feet uh, like up on the desk. And he said, you want to live in one of the year round housing and not the dorms? And I said, yes. And he goes, well, can you run the apartments? And I was like, yes. And he literally handed me keys to an apartment that had all the football players in it. And that was my introduction to property management. So I had the entire football team and some families that needed year round housing. And the guy just like handed me the keys. And the next year they, they brought in an actual, you know, director of housing that's master's degree or PhD was in housing development and all that. But I was already in and spent, um, uh, I, went, I actually worked for five different universities in their housing department. Gary Gregory and I worked together in the University of Houston. So um, way back when. And um, and so working for the universities, I got the, the, the really like the resident side, the fun functions, like the diversity training, you know, really digging into um, that's servant leadership and kind of what that looks like. And then when I kind of transitioned and thought, well, okay, I've graduated from college. I'm ready to go out in the real world. And, um, and I fell right into conventional, uh, you know, property management. And, uh, and so after five universities, Going into conventional multifamily, I was like, oh, I got to do evictions. I don't evict students normally. So, you know, but I really, really enjoyed it and immediately did construction, did lease ups. Um, I was a national um, representative for my company and traveled to seven states and had um, really, I've been in 24 different markets. So, 
yeah, so I, I, I really like that I have this a national presence. Um, came to North Carolina and built a management company for, um, for a company that's out there. And right in 2020, we, we sold almost all our assets. So we, we, we accomplished one of our goals in five years. And, um, and so uh, it kind of set me free to kind of decide what I wanted to do next. And so as I've been working for and consulting for some of the property management companies that are out there, I've been able to guest speak, be a national guest speaker. Uh, I'll be at the Women's Summit next month, uh, or next week, actually, in Phoenix. And, um, and I think what I've really gotten, um, like uh, one of the things that we talked about briefly before the, the recording is that I, I, I am a 2008 survivor and mm. that I actually developed my teams uh, all, from all over the nation and we went from uh, taking over properties in 2008 and selling them in 2017. And and them, them going from, you know, an $80 million value to $144 million value. And so, you know, just being able to just hang in there and, um, and make it work. And so uh, the other thing I've done in 2010 is we, I built uh, some management uh, prop tech in 2010. Um, we actually built it in 2005 till 2010, we sold it to RealPage. So I've been involved with prop tech and the technology side of this and since 20, 2005 really. And my development team was out of India. And so, uh, so I've done eight trips to India and have, have spent a lifetime uh, traveling the world, actually. So, so it it's gave, gave me a lot of opportunities to be in this business. And now I'm just one of the biggest cheerleaders for our industry and, and just a huge advocate for, for the career of multifamily. There is a, there's so much we can unpack here. I, I'm uh, from leadership to prop tech to so on and so forth. So we're, we have no roadmap. We're just going to jump all over the place. If you don't mind, I obviously prop tech is, um, you know, I think if you, if you look back, let's say 48 months ago, plus minus, maybe it was a little bit more, but there's sort of a groundswell of activity as it relates to technology in the multifamily space. It, that swell was backed by a lot of capital. And if you, even if you carve out uh, WeWork, which took the lion's share of that capital, there's still a tremendous amount of money that poured into PropTech. I'm, I'm just curious from your perspective, being a developer builder, certainly getting uh, labor from outside of the country to design and, and build things. What has been, what is your sort of observation of the last 48 months plus minus as it relates to prop tech and the impact it's made on multifamily or so, is making. Yeah. So interesting enough in, in 2010, we didn't even know what, what we were doing. We didn't really even understand the market. We just knew that there was a need. And so mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's how it, how it showed up for us is um, um, we built it for the assisted senior living side and so there was a, a little more compliance issues to it and a little more uh, detail as far as that goes. But, you know, it was a product that, that and, and, and I think that that's what PropTech prop actually, what we saw in 2020 was the explosion was because 
there was there was a need. And so so if you can imagine that in 2010 I saw the need and we and we did some great prototypes even at that time for for uh maintenance. I spoke to Happyco the the owner um probably months after he started and and had a lunch with him in Dallas, Texas and really just talked you know, management and, and, and the app and what he was building just to be in that space when it was developing and it was starting to kind of really, he was literally flying out and meeting with people in the industry to decide what to build. Right. right and right. So, so, so just that excitement of, Hey, here are needs that aren't being met with the, with our manual processes. Um, how do we really put these into, um, prop tech, which it, or some other mechanism that we can actually, um, improve ourselves, you know, benefit our teams and our residents. And so 2020, it just all hit at once. Hmm. These guys had already been working on this prop tech behind the scenes a little bit and know that the development was already there for some of them. And so I think they got their moment that they were needed. And that that's what got us off of like home base, you know, that got us first, <laughs> second, third base. And, and really um, some of the pro the products that came out immediately were just hitting home runs. Like that feels a need. That's great. Some of the other ones were like, eh, they kind of need to work on a few items, you know? <laughs> and, um, and this is what I say about 2020 specifically you know, we were drinking from a fire hose because of the crisis. We were drinking right. from a fire hose just in, in, um, I had a new company at that time and we were just in that baby steps and that we couldn't embrace because we were so small. We couldn't embrace all of the technology that I wanted at the time. Sure. And so I had to find other ways to kind of, um, uh, shortcut some of the procedures that we we were doing manually, if that makes sense. It it does. You you said something that really sparked my curiosity, and you said in 2010, I saw a need back then, and I'm curious the the need that you saw was it because you were in the day to day business, or were you reading about broader trends that were happening in a marketplace and and sort of married two things together? I'm just curious how that that came to be and that's a great question so i had been traveling um to india since 2008 so i was actually already seeing the the um um actual technology centers that were being built in india in 2008 um and and so in 2008 when i was there actually i've been i've actually been traveling to india since 1994 so oh, so wow. <laughs> Yeah. So I actually got to see India where I couldn't hardly get a Coke in 94 to they built what's called high tech city in Hyderabad, India. And I was at the grand opening for high tech city, which is uh, now one of the campuses for Microsoft. And and he built an entire city there. So I, oh. I actually was at the ground swell. Uh, moment that we saw that there was 
um, talent coming out of India and that we could take advantage of that and that we could do it cheaper and, and do it faster building a team from India and actually from Pakistan, Islamabad. Um, there's some great talent there as well. Uh, Philippines was not on the radar at that time, but now is a huge hub for uh, customer service. And right. so when you're in that environment, you're it's just by osmosis that you're like, what's possible? What can we yeah. do with, with this with this an entire building full of <laughs> IT guys that they have to run a generator because they have brownouts in the electricity in the town. They had to they had to have their own electric stations. And so when you when you see the magnitude of what they had to build to make sure that they were running technology 24/7 and it was never been done before. And uh, so that like I said, very exciting times. Um, and, and, uh, Bill Clinton actually went and spoke there about, I think three months after I left or two months after I left, he, he went and did the inauguration of the building and everything. And, um, but it was like, so that's what I, I've steeped myself in is this, um, kind of behind the scenes culture. And then, um, and the second thing to that is. I, I was doing the manual processes. I was on site. I was a right. regional director. I was, a, you know, multi-state regional director. And as we were, as we were doing things, I'm like, why are we doing this Excel spreadsheet when we can automate this? And why are we doing work orders by hand? And why are we printing out and using paper for all of this stuff? You know, so I was already questioning that stuff in 2010. I got it. Wow. That's, I'm always curious about how people sort of connect dots to, to get to where they're at where, or glean the perspective that they have about prop tech. And it's certainly, who knows that there, there is, there are a lot of very shiny prop tech tools being built. And I think to the, one of the points you made there, some of them are just not fully developed or they're trying to solve problems that aren't really the magnitude that is necessary to bring in technology. Uh, yeah. But others are, others are incredible. I'm, I'm curious. It seems like there's a natural segue from, from prop tech to AI or maybe AI sits in prop tech, but I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on artificial intelligence or LLMs as it relates to prop tech, or if those are two separate things in your head, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, I think it's just a natural transition, right? I mean, I think mm -hmm. when we got to where, um, I, I mean, I've been from ledger cards writing down things, right? I mean, that exactly, right? So from from ledger cards and typewriters on leases, I mean, you you, you have to, know that I'm celebrating a little bit of the AI uh, at this point, right? And um, I want somebody thinking for me, okay, let's just put it that way. But but that that natural transition, like you said, is when um, I think with AI, it, it's, it's so fast. And I think what I got to honestly see from 2005 till really 2020, that's how long prop tech marinated, right? Yeah. And, and then and then AI came out and we've had eight months 
give or take of AI and it's already blowing us, you know, the doors off. Right. That's right. That's yeah. Right. So, so I think we are in that natural transition and I do embrace it. Um, everything I see now, I put the AI glasses on and say, mm. how would AI solve this problem? And uh, I am on, and I've signed some NDAs, so I can't say too much, but I am on some teams that are developing AI um, uh, internationally uh, uh, recognized teams that um, that are actually out there now putting those pieces together for multifamily and really developing the AI components. And, and so that's, I, I, I believe we, we want to make sure though, and this is the big vital thing that I just talk about is I'm a people person and a technology person. And I really want to make sure that we blend both of those and that we take care of our people and we take care of our teams and we make sure they understand that, you, you, you know, everything they read in the news is that a robot's coming for their job tomorrow. And <laughs> it, it's not, we're not at that level. Maybe their kids <laughs> might have to worry about some of that. Right. But the, the truth is, uh, because I've seen the duration of how long it takes to really get it um, baked in. Mm-hmm. I, I know we've got a 10 year process that, that that's going to happen and, and that we can embrace and that we can kind of have, um, I, I hope to be a part of that guide and the guidance through the finding that kind of perfect synergy between the people and the technology. And oh, go ahead. I, I think we're, I mean, I think we're all recognizing that finally right now, but, um, but I think that's where we're still, I think that's where the industry right now is still struggling with how do we combine these two things? I, I think you're completely right about that. I, let's say for the last, I don't know, let's call it four or five years, I've been on my podcast and in my daily videos talking about upskilling and reskilling. And I think, you know, if we have a 10 year path to when we have true automation or, or pure automation in, in the multifamily industry, it's like the clarion call, right? Like right now you really need to upskill, reskill your, your team members. And I would say team members learn, immerse yourself, learn everything you can about AI and LLMs and figure out how you potentially could automate pieces and parts of your job, because then you almost create a position for yourself. If you're in there in the early innings, being a practitioner of, and an administrator of, and, and, uh, helping others in your, in your business, uh, learn how to use it for yourself. But I, I, so segueing to something that I know is very near and dear to your heart and is probably fueled by or going to be fueled by a uh, be it prop tech or, or AI fraud prevention. Let's uh, I know we talked a lot, I know, the, but no, I, I this is my soap. Box. It on us. <laughs> this is my soapbox. So big, everybody, I say, buckle up, put your seatbelt, right? Because we, we go on for a ride. No, I, I I I am the a I'm the AI advocate, uh, but I am the I am the I'm the fraud fighter. I am the fraud nightmare because I am going to be out there talking about it, 
and talking about it and talking about it till it's no longer a topic. <laughs> and, Love it. and here's the number one reason, Mike. I saw the abuse my on-site staffs took from the fraud, fraudsters, or the syndicated fraud that's developed. And it's not a mom and pop fraud. It's not somebody's cousins renting their apartment for their, you know, best friend. It's syndicated fraud. Until we get to the level that it is, it is gangster. We are out there fighting um, some big, big players. And That's it's right. because there's a lot of money in it. And people say, mm -hmm. well, I don't understand. How are they making money? They are doing everything we do to market for our people, they do a better job than we do in some cases to mm -hmm. market people and nurture them and step them through a process. And I've actually reverse engineered. I've literally contacted a number with a burner phone, got the fraud and got accepted in my own apartment. Like I've literally hacked the hackers. <laughs> And I've gone through the series. I have, they know who I am in Charlotte for sure. So hi. Um, yeah, they, they know I'm, I'm, I'm advocating. Right. And, but the other side of that is I thought it was contained at the time when I first started four or five years ago to an area. I thought it was just Charlotte or just Raleigh or Savannah and started talking to my Dallas, you know, friends and and really speaking talking about the fraud and that's when we actually talked about it is we we started realizing they were seeing the same things i was seeing yeah. and that we we were we were dealing with a national issue right? right so the so the second thing is some people go what fraud that's that's the one that gets me it's like if i walk in and, and a leasing agent goes what fraud i go Somebody needs to educate her or fire her <laughs> so, because right. That's right. she knows there's fraud out there. Right. And, uh, she, either, and so those are the questions that mm -hmm. I start with is just what fraud are you experiencing? Um, how are you screening your applicants? What techniques are you using? And this is the hardest one that everybody's going to not want to hear from me is that you've got to keep elevating it. It can't be just, everybody's like, oh, it, we're good. We got our one system set up and it, it, it checks everything. They've already figured that one system out and they've already hacked that. And so that you'll put in the next layer and they'll hack that. And then the next layer. So we are in going to be in this perpetual race. I, I say for the, for really the, the, sanctimony of our, of our sites at this point and um anybody that's not willing to evolve and have the conversations um they will be in trouble and and that's why i'm i'm really um I, i've spoke to owners and owner groups and i've had them actually say but they're they're in lisa they're paying rent what's the problem and I have to go, no, you don't get it. They're, they're, they're coming in in full force and you've got 60% fraud in your property and overnight they can move and leave you high and dry. Nice. And they don't care about their credit. They don't care about the appliances. They don't care about anything. And 
And um, I've had owners that finally said a light bulb went off in an Orlando GP group that I was dealing with. And they said, that's the, that's the reason. And I said, what happened? And he goes, we had a 60% vacancy during like 2020 into 2020. And he said, we didn't realize what we kept thinking. Why don't they care about their credit? Like they're just leaving and they're taking appliances and they're just overnight moving out and not talking to us or giving us forwarding addresses. They don't care about their deposits. They don't. And he's like, we couldn't figure it out. And I was like, it's fraud. And so he, he went back and implemented, you know, things that they needed to do. So like I said, you'll hear me get on my soapbox about it. And all I say is this, and that is if you're unsure of what to do, I mean, like reach out to a vendor that's out there trying to help you fight it and, and at least get, um, I guess some input from the vendors and really start to see for yourself, um, you know, where do you think there's holes in your system? Um, and really, if it's not a top priority, it will be when it's a crisis. That's right. That's right. What What would you say if you were to just give one piece of actionable advice here? And I know there are probably 15 things you could tell somebody, but if you were to stack rank them and put one at the top, what would you suggest to people to fight this fight? So it's, it is going to, you have to take a multi, um, a multifaceted view of it. So um, it's not just, uh, so if you think of, we qualify by, let's just say five things and we qualify by ID and, and credit score and documents and, you know, criminal history and rental history. If you're not examining each one of those and really deciding, do I feel that I've covered to the best of the ability in the industry right now with the tools available to me, each one of those individually, that's where you start is you may feel like you have a great program on identification, let's just say, Mm -hmm. but identification is only one of five. Right. So we, so the, the say it's a, it's a, it's a false sense of safety to say we've got it covered. And if you're covering just the documents, we just have it covered. You don't. And so that's the education that I get. I really have pushed out there is until I actually saw it, how, how they kind of do it. And that they're not just, it's not just one formula. They'll have a real person with real ID and fake documents but they may be hiding a criminal history or something else. So there's, there's all different um, calculations is the best way to put it. And that's where I say this, the first step is, well, we all know first step is awareness that there is fraud. The second step is (laughs) the second step is examining each one of those criterias and making sure that you, you're comfortable with uh, what you have. And here's the secret insight. This is Lisa's golden nugget. <laughs> Listen up now. It is. Here it is for free. It is skips. 
It's not evictions. Nobody tracks the skips. Nobody. I've been on hundreds of asset manager calls that they talk about move-ins, they talk about move-outs, and they talk about evictions. And nobody talks about skips. Uh, so skips in a site is your key that you have a problem. That's the, I got it. You said that certainly it, pay attention to your evictions, but the real tell is the skips. It's not the evictions. Yeah. The evictions are the brave ones that maybe want to push it to the end till they have appealed. And, the, you know, there's like 3% of those that are going to push it to that far. Um, yeah. But the rest of them are skips and they're not finishing their leases. They're, you know, they're not renewing. They're not paying their last month. There's, there's, there's little tell signs all throughout that, that your team probably already sees, but they, you don't bring up skips and talk about it. So why are they going to bring it up? They just move the person out quietly. It goes to the move outs and then right. it goes into the numbers and then, the, and it, it's lost in the data. So, yeah, I'm literally, I, I mean, we're, we're an operator obviously, and I'm literally thinking about, I just got a move out by reason report last night and I was looking through it and, and to your point, I'm focused on evictions and, you know, somebody's moving into a home. Are they really, because interest rates are really high. I don't think I buy that, but I, I wasn't giving a ton of, ton of thought to skips. And they won't even, so. your staff won't even put it as a step, a skip. They'll say financial right. problem. It, they'll say financial yeah. problem. They, they, they skipped because they couldn't pay the rent. So therefore, we're going to put it under financial problem. Ah. So I'm literally okay. telling you the secret sauce here. <laughs> the secret sauce is. This is my podcast host taking notes. <laughs> it is skips. Is, um, I want to go back to something on the, that you were implying on the front side, um, or, or at least here's the story I'm telling myself, look, there is a, a customer service element here in the way of efficiency, right? You want to qualify somebody quickly to get them into the building. And I have to imagine these syndications, these swarms of fraudulent people are pressing you on the front side for speed. And in my head, that's a tell, but the, the, the bigger message here for all of us is, hey, look, if it takes 48 hours to qualify you because I need that time to actually go through the documents, then it takes 48 hours and it is what it is. And there's a little bit of compromise on the customer service side of this. Is that, is that fair to say? There is, but here's the, here's the <laughs> trick and here's the thing, Mike, I'm guilty of it as well. So I'm not pointing fingers, sure. but if I'm on that Monday call with an asset manager and, and they want to move in, then I'm looking at my team going, you've got five applications. Why are those people not moved in? And yep. so yep. The, the pressure on the teams is, the, is right. we don't give them the grace of a week to, to do their due diligence. Sure. Where our business has been, the faster you can get them in, the better. And right that that's where the number it counts. That's the only way it counts. I've had asset managers tell me it don't count till they move in. Don't count that lease until they move in. You know, 
So they don't want to hear about the how many pre-leases you have. They want to know how many move-ins and how much, you know, it is solid, solid um, collections, right? Right. And and so that's the that's kind of the new world we're entering. Right. <laughs> and right. There's some. There's going to have to be some um, legacy mind shifts, right? that we right. have not yet fully embraced because we've all, you know, lived in that world for 20 years that mm -hmm. get the move in no matter what, if they're at the door with their vehicle, their stuff in the vehicle, get right. them in, you know, it, it, capture the lease, whatever you have to do and get the people moved in. And then on the other side, we have to say, but try to do your best due diligence and don't let any fraud in. Right. So, so your team is, is really is stuck in the middle. And so, like I said, um, when I started working with prop techs uh, and working with teams and making sure that people really could um, start to, to, to try to see how the fraud was filtering through, um, that's when I realized we couldn't, we couldn't, we needed the technology. We need the technology um, and that's where, you know, you and I had a conversation is what did I recognize, you know, in 2010, when I built some property management tech, prop tech back then, we realized we needed it. And that mm -hmm. need is we were waiting until the need is so great that we're already drowning before we actually implement. And what mm -hmm. I'm proposing is that we actually strategically rewrite how property management is, is actually, you know, done using mm -hmm. some of the AI that's coming down the pike. And we will have to shift some mindsets about how we observe move-ins as an example. Leasing teams can spend more than six hours every week, sending welcome letters, following up, collecting documents, and yet residents still show up on move-in day unprepared. Move-in days sets the tone for the entire relationship with that resident. Getting it right matters. According to Kingsley, residents happy with their move-in experience are 59% more likely to renew their lease. Move-ins matter. Jenna Miller, the Senior Director of Marketing and Customer Experience at Bazudo, says Updater has been instrumental in helping them remove friction from the move-in process. They rely on Updater to save leasing teams valuable time and create a consistent and branded move-in experience across the entire portfolio. To see Updater in action, visit go.updater.com forward slash Mike. As a thank you to my listeners, Updater is offering a special gift when you book a demo. Move-ins matter. Get them right with Updater. That's go.updater.com forward slash Mike. Yeah, I, I, I believe that to be true because it's, it's, uh, I, I, I believe there's a solution out there. I, I believe that you, um, it's, it's, uh, what is the name? There are some sacred cows in our industry, right? Sacred that, cows. Mm -hmm. Lots and, of them. <laughs> yeah. And we, we have to unfortunately put those, put those cows out to pasture and change mindsets and start to do do our business a different way because bad actors, unfortunately, bad actors, um, 
you know, I, I heard this story a long time ago. I'll do the brief version of it because I, I want to skip to another topic I know you're passionate about, but there's this gentleman who, this is way back, let's say, let's say it's 15, 1600s. Uh, he was actually uh, arrested and he was arrested because he was literally artistically, so maybe it's not 1516s, whenever money became a thing, he was literally artistically drawing $100 bills, like doing the artwork and in, into perfection, right? And the way he got caught is somebody had, a cashier had a wet finger and put their finger on the dollar, $100 bill. And that's how they, they caught him ultimately and got arrested. But when they went up to, to actually put the cuffs on him, he had like hundreds of these things that he had artistically drawn out, but he got caught. But anyway, processors are always out there trying to architect a new, a new way to get past things. I want to switch gears. You are super passionate about leadership and oh, yeah. both from a sort of an interpersonal leadership uh, perspective, but also taking what you've done interpersonally and in, in exercising that out to the masses. Talk to me about leadership. <laughs> well, I, 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 I say this and I've said this a couple of different times when people, when I've talked about either community or I've talked about what I've learned in this industry and, and realistically, I had to do it and start with self. I had to do the work here on myself first. And I've spent 20 years, 20 plus years, um, reading, uh, attending webinars, training people also outside the industry, really you know, joining the Tony Robbins or whatever that might be that would kind of get me even outside the industry to see what are the latest, you know, um, tips and tricks for leaders. But what I, what it always came back to was self-awareness and really being my authentic self, really making sure that transparency is part of how I, how I express myself. I'm very transparent. And you know, um, it, 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 in that um, in that process of saying, you know, seeing what is a leader, and that you know, that's why I picked multiple books. One of them, this one's called the Embodied um, Leadership, and this one's actually on the um, on ethical leadership. It's on um, clarity as a leader, but more importantly, it's what neuroscience is saying about self so that we see that the connection of being a leader is is our um our being as a our feelings and our emotions the emotional mm -hmm. iq part but also how are we you know doing the body with the mind and making mm -hmm. sure that those are both on the same page and trust from coming with somebody where my emotions were over here my body's over here in this industry, you get disconnected quickly. And that's where we as leaders have got to kind of find whatever that um, North Star is for each one of us that guides us to know we're in clarity and that we are in that flow and that we feel that some groundedness so that if we're off that center, we feel it and then, mm -hmm. and our teams feel it. If we don't, if we don't autocorrect, you'll start to see it in your teams. And that's right. That's right. And so, 
so partly I've learned that from making a lot of mistakes where I thought I was fighting the fight myself and then saw it reflected in a regional director or saw it reflected in an owner and then realized, wait a minute, let me go back to self. Let me restart and, and let me kind of do some self work and clarify what that is. And, and so I'm always reading and I'm, I'm always trying to really understand that. But what I also know is you have to surrender some of that in that, um, and I love the book it's for women is, is written here. It's called Grit and Grace, but it's actually lessons from a bossy, caring, fearless, vulnerable, relentless, forgiving woman at the top. And Ooh, like it, it's really finding um, how do we combine as women, as women leaders, especially, how do we find the grit and balance it with the grace? And... And I didn't have the grace part. <laughs> I had the grit down. <laughs> the industry, you know, made sure, you know, with the 16 hour days and sleeping on, you know, mattresses in a vacant unit, right. trying to save a property. I had the grit. Um, and then I realized without giving myself any grace, I couldn't give it to anybody else. That's right. That's right. You, you know, I think there's a, there's something that came to mind for me as you were unpacking that there's a, so there's this, this concept or really, I guess it's a, a physical thing in your mind called mirror neurons, right? We, we see this mm -hmm. a lot where you and I are having a conversation. All of a sudden I'm taking on your body language and you're taking on my body language and we're sort of getting in this, this dance back and forth. But what comes to mind for me based on something that you said was that it, it it's the same in a sort of a mass environment, right? If, if you start behaving in a certain way around a mass of, let's call it your leadership team, they're going to start to mirror your behaviors and in, into your, I think to your point, you start to get these bad behaviors on, you know, come out of you onto your team and so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden you've poisoned the well. And if you don't have the self-awareness to come back and take a look internally, okay, what am I doing outside of my character, my integrity, my X, my Y, my Z and fix that, then you're just, you're on a path to, to destruction as a group. And you did it sometimes not really knowing that you did it, but that, I mean, that's what I'm telling you. It, it, it's a, it's a daily check-in at this point, right. but I've learned as a daily discipline and I kind of wanted it to be like a every six month discipline. <laughs> like, yeah. do I really have to self-examine uh, this minute by minute, day by day, you know? And yes, you do. <laughs> as a leader, absolutely you do. And, and you have to have Mike to, to your credit, uh, being a leader, it, you're reflecting that out there. And so other leaders like myself or vice versa, we can, we can start to mirror and role model that mirroring. And then, and then that's where a collective of leaders are really the strongest is when we're really, mm -hmm. in, it, it, we're all in the same, on the same, that same wavelength. Um, and that's why I call it, you know, leaders training leaders. And mm -hmm. that's literally the next step is 
it's not okay just for me to be a leader. It, it's not. It's really me right. being leader, training leaders. That's and right. We, That's right. We, we coined that a couple of years ago and it kind of went up kind of on the wayside um, and got replaced by some other, you know, probably catch word. But, sure. you know, but we, we really want to ask ourselves, are we mentoring? Who are we communicating with? Who's watching our actions, even when we're not speaking? And right. that probably goes to my next and really the top of the, the level for me is integrity. It's at yeah. the top for me. And, yeah. and I say that because it's taken me 20 years to understand even that definition and where that integrity is and where my line is. And I've left and I've, I've, I've removed myself from situations that were completely out of integrity. And that's a whole next level. It's one thing you see it. <laughs> it's another thing to say something or to actually take a big leap and, and leave something um, when the integrity is, is out and, and it is not. Um, and my, my best little saying to myself is this, we live in a world where integrity is out all the time. Yeah. Our job is to put the integrity in. Yeah. So it's not the opposite. It really is being aware that the entire world's out of integrity and operates that way on a regular basis. And that it, as leaders, it's it, and leaders and, and people we cultivate to be leaders and our organizations is, is to put that integrity back in. So that's what I realized is that where my little tester for myself is where's my integrity. Yeah. It's that, that is sage advice in, in my opinion. And it, you know, d despite what fundamental belief system, anyone listening or watching has it, in, in my head, there's spiritual warfare is going on all of the time and there's good and evil in the world and evil doesn't go to bed. It doesn't take vacation. It doesn't do, do and, you know, evil integrity, right? It's, yeah. or lack thereof. And, and you're right. It is, it is a leader's primary responsibility to, to get that good side, right? And just putting keep putting it in. And just like, if your question is, where's the integrity? What integrity can I put into this today? Even if it's a, a small baby step that you're stepping into the ring, you're, you're throwing your hat, you know, into the ring, you're, you're making that declaration. It's going this way. And, and that's my best leadership moments when I was in my, like in my solid foundation of integrity, then when I said, we're going this way that's where we went and everybody yeah. followed and the organization followed and the results happened. And anytime we were out of sync or out of that integrity, it was easy to identify and kind of bring it back in. And, and, and it wasn't a shame. It's not a, it's not a shaming. And this is a big, big point that a lot of people miss. There's no make wrong. There's no shame. It's in or out. Yeah. 
it's in yeah. or out. And, and you, there's no meaning behind it. There's no judgment. It's in or out. And if you can get to, I choose in and I choose integrity in, then out doesn't even become an option. Yeah. It's, just, it's not, it, it's the, the, the choices is, is, is made, you know? And so the second thing that I do and I've studied for a while is how to be a naturally occurring leader. And that is when you, we naturally occurring leader is kind of a terminology, but it means that we are actually living in those core beliefs and in those values effortlessly, like mm. in a flow state. And yeah. then when, when you're in the flow and you're in that clarity and you feel it and your body's aligned with it, then, then th that is to me <laughs> where that's where the miracles happen. <laughs> and I've seen that with teams. I've seen that with vendors. I've seen that with uh, miracles in our industry that there was nothing that we could do to save something. And when we all came together, rode in the same direction and everybody, you know, had that um, intention, then we really, we, we made it happen. I, so I, I, I can't go away from this topic before I ask this question. I, I, so hopefully I articulate this well and in, in brief, but in my head to get to the state that you just described, one must do um, a combination of things, reading and practice are the two buckets I'll throw it in for now. Mm -hmm. And, and so you're, you're filling your vessel, right? To the point that you get completely imbued. And then to your point, it just naturally comes out of you because it's all that's in you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, but in, so my question is this, um, and I, and I had this discussion online the other day and, and I can see both sides of this, but uh, someone was of the mind that you can't learn leadership through a book. You just go out and you do leadership and you make mistakes and you learn and you evolve over time. My counter to that is, Hey, look, you, you have to have some premise for this and in reading especially for people who have blazed the trail before you has a tremendous place in one's leadership development, right? So that you fill this vessel and then you start to impart and on, on other people, uh, because it's, it's naturally coming out of you. I'm just curious, your view, is it, is it all practitioner and no reading or is it a combination of both or like, can someone learn leadership just by reading a book? <laughs> So, so I, I'm in the camp of that it's obviously it's both, but you mm -hmm. cannot, and I, I mean, I, I'm sure that there's an opportunity where you have, um, you're thrown into a crisis and you lead somebody and then something occurs and, and you really develop a skill or something, but everything that I've studied over the last, and I say 20, 25 years that mm -hmm. is has been books, has been other people, webinars, now TED Talks, now more tech, technology-driven um, information. Mm -hmm. But here's the day that I can explain to you when I 
I, and one of my books here is The Untethered Soul. So I don't know if anybody's ever read that one, but it's- That's it's, one of my favorite books ever. One of my favorite ever. This is actually the notebook that actually oh. is the guide. So it's, it's oh, you can I gotta pick actually that up. journal. Uh -huh. um, but we all have that noise in our head. And the yep. noise is always there. And we have to know how to work through the noise in our head. We have to recognize that the, the voices in our head are not always our friends. We right. have to start to see that to be present in the moment, you've got to kind of be able to clear some of those things. And it's a gift when you actually have that happen. Um, even if you only have it once in your lifetime, and I can actually tell you when the first time for me was after I'd done 10 years of studying, reading and managing teams, I was driving to work one day and I crossed this bridge. I turned into Dallas traffic and in my, the front of my Jeep, the whole windshield was a clear blue sky that it was, I was so enamored tears came down my face and I was mesmerized by this blueness. I didn't see the traffic. I didn't see, I wasn't, I don't even know how I drove and pulled over, but I actually exited and there was a little park there. And I sat there for a minute and mesmerized by this clear blue sky. And only when a bird finally flew into my sight, did I snap back? But I had been so present to that blue sky. There was no voices. There was no stress about going to work. There was nothing about the commute. It was, it was probably only a minute, 30 seconds, but it felt sure. like eternity. And I just cried like a baby. And now anytime I see a clear blue sky with no clouds, I can recall that moment <laughs> anytime. And so my teams know it, people know it, my Facebook friends know it, and I'll take this beautiful blue sky picture and people know that that blue sky means something to Lisa. And, but all I can tell you, and in that moment is I you, you can read books and you can go through leadership ex examples, but till you understand the power of being present, understand the voices, understand our humanness in that moment and get really clear. And I mean, in that moment, I was, there wasn't, there was nothing only from nothing can we create? And so blue skies to me are the, the, the clean canvas. And then from there is how they actually make a, 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 a drawing, a painting, you know, et cetera. And, and so as I think of that, I go back to some of the stuff we do on a daily basis and I go, Let's strip all that out and get to nothing. And then we create instead of putting stuff on top of stuff, on top of stuff, on top of stuff.
And that's where I learned that moment, what that clarity feels like and can bottle it up. And so there's some probably neurolinguistic programming or some other, you know, sure. uh, other type of thing that could explain some of that. But in the moment, because I can bring that back and I can center myself there, it, it, there's not a book in the world or an experience as a leader that can understand that to get me to the clarity of stop the noise. What is the team dealing with right now? What is the company dealing with? What is our industry dealing with? And how do we clean that canvas down? And how do we create from nothing? And that's where I, that's, that's what I practice now. That's, that is my practice. And it's hard. That... <laughs> it's, it is part of just a daily, like I said, pulling out the stuff. And, and then, right. like I said, books like this yeah. gave me language for it, I guess. Um, that is such, it, it, that is a powerful story. And, and I really appreciate you sharing that here. I, I do. And I, it, it does beg the question. I, I know this was, that particular moment was a sort of a, let's call it a crescendo moment for you. And then the carry on is that each time you have this, um, this new blue sky, it's sort of this trigger moment where it takes you back into this state. Um, do you, and, and let's, I want to tie this to the daily exercise of, um, I've heard it, I've heard it called, uh, replaying the call, right? So you, whether you journal or you just sit down and think through the thing, the actions or the behaviors from the day, what is your daily exercise specifically where you walk through the behaviors that you, you put out into the world for the day where you mentally go through and kind of like, oh, I could have done this better and tomorrow I'm going to do excellent. What do you do um, as it relates to keeping yourself at least prepared for those blue sky moments? Yeah. Um, so I think we all know, uh, and this is something I've realized, um, the wisdom of age <laughs> helps, um, is when I'm eating correctly, when I'm exer either exercising or I'm going for a massage, or I'm taking a vacation when, you know, stepping away from something or when that self-care and we talk about self-care. So it, 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 I get kind of, um, a little annoyed with self-care because it sounds like, you know, it's a cl cliche marketing thing, but sure. everybody has a different way that they, they do a little self-care. And it, even if you're mm -hmm. in your worst depressive moment, a good cup of coffee can really make your day. If that's the only thing, the French press, bring it on, you know, if that's the only thing that you could do today, that that would do it. Okay. Strike that up as a yes, a win. And tomorrow it's coffee plus a really good meal, you know, but do you yeah. see? So I think when I really mean that I had to do the work on self, I had to get to where, um, I realized that, I mean, a real thing is menopause for us women that are older. I mean, our hormones okay. shift and life happens and all of those things. And if we're not like, if we're trying to just tough over it or just 
survive it and not getting a team around us or not getting some awareness around it, those are imp almost impossible to maneuver. So the daily, I would say, is for me, energy level. It's the, it's the first clue in my body that I'm not where I need to be today. And, and what can I do? Um, hopefully not too many energy drinks. I'm not, I'm not big on that, but I told you if, if I have an energy drink or coffee, my team's like, she's on energy drinks, look out, you know? So, but it's really, if I'm in my clarity, if I'm in my flow, it's in my energy. It's in my, my being. And the days that I just have to relax and pull back and go hibernate and hide, I need that too. And I can honor yeah. that. And that's the grace part that I was telling you. I didn't see an off button. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I just had, I just had this energy on button that had to be on all the time. And I didn't realize I can stop. I can do this and take the time. And so that's my little daily practice is, is in those, the small things that, like I said, it might be a food. My favorite food's a steak. So I'm from Texas. What can I say? But I love steak. <laughs> and so it's just, you know, I feel like a different person the next day. I'm like, life is great because I had a steak. You know? so, but that's awareness, right? That's when you know it, it's just that being that aware that steak makes my day. And, and so that's what I just say to people is you know, find that happiness, but kind of a healthy happy because we can run into the not so healthy in our industry, especially because we're trying to just kind of, like I said, fake it till we make it or, you know, false energy. Um, right. But really find that, find that groove, that passion um, that you don't need any stimulus that you, you could just go on it for days and then. And, yeah. and that's what I say is, um, is kind of the key. That, that makes sense. There's, there's so much that comes to mind there. Um, it, in, I love the word flow and I think there's a, this is not my novel thought process and I'm going to butcher the sort of the methodology to get into flow, but, and I can't remember where I heard this or, or read it, but it's, it's almost like you, uh, each day you, uh, you have a struggle, right? Every day you wake up and whether it's the top three things you need to work on for the day, or there's some, something about your day that is an opportunity, or it could also be called a struggle, right? So you're mm -hmm. wrestling with something and, but then to your point about self-care, you, you wake up, you have this struggle that's sitting there, you do the self-care portion. And if you really get into a good habit, you do that every day. The self-care is every day. And it's a, it's a precise prescription of things that you do that are germane to you and you only. <laughs> and then you get yourself primed for flow state and you do flow state. And then to your other point, you have to reset you have to have that steak, you have to have that, whatever it is for you that gives you that little kind of reward for your, your on the heels of flow. And then you have to let your body 
this is where sleep is really, really important. I'm big and on that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seven to nine hours or whatever it is for you. It's, it's germane to you, but seven to me is probably, and that's not my novel thought either. I've just read enough to know that seven hours is eight is really better, but then you reset yourself for another struggle, another self-care moment, another flow state, another reward. And, and you sort of get in this routine, right? And, and then you can play yourself out over a long bit of time and, and produce a lot in your life and for others, serve others in a well, in a really beneficial way. Well, that's, I think, I mean, you know, I, 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 I recognize that as really the hero's journey, right? If you've not read it, it, if there's books out there, but one of them is the hero's journey. And so in, in what we do every day, that there is a struggle, there is in the hero's journey, they take a long trip, they go somewhere, they fight battles on the way, they fight dragons and then they get to the princess or the reward or whatever the hero's journey is, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's right. So we want to take the we want the journey to be like like an easy journey, no dragons, you know. That's right. And right? And and some days we're like, okay, this is too many dragons, you know. But really right. but right. really that is the that is our journey. And that's what, this is what I'm trying to tell you. I've looked back on 36 years of a hero's journey in multifamily and love every minute of it, frame by frame, struggle by struggle, dragons and all. I have really um, lived it. And, and, and I told somebody the other day, I was in a podcast and I said, I live this stuff. You're like, you're like, this is, this is, it is to the core. This is me, you know? And they were just laughing, you know, but what I was trying to say is that, that, that I think that's the beauty of this. When somebody thinks they're going to read one book and get there or take one diet pill and be skinny or take, you know, whatever that is we've got to embrace that. And I, I think I've written this and I put this in a, a couple of different things, but I celebrate breakdown as much as I celebrate breakthroughs. And I love, it. and I literally, there's the little song is like celebrate, you know, good times. Right. And it's like, <laughs> celebrate good times. Well, I say celebrate breakdowns. Come on. Because <sighs> You've got to celebrate the breakdowns first yeah. because they're there. And then you can, then only, only when you have a breakdown, do you have a breakthrough? And that's not my stuff. That's something I read, but it stuck with me. And I realized when I was having the breakdown, literally in the worst moments, I start singing that song and I'm like, people are looking at me like, what what just happened? This is, like the, this is the worst moment for you to be singing a, a breakdown song. And I'm like, but w- this is where we are. Yeah. We just got to get yeah. straight. This is it, you know? And so, like I said, have fun with it. But if we don't get those little nuggets through experience, back to your point, we get those from other people or books. That's right. That's right. I, I believe that to be true. Uh, I, uh, I want to end cap here. I, uh, that, that brings to mind the, the book obstacle is a way by Ryan holiday in that 
in every adversity are the seeds that give you the path forward. And right. And so you have this breakdown, but in that breakdown, if you really pull it apart, you find the path forward in mm -hmm. that very adversity that you struggled with. But I want to, I want to bring us to a close. You, you have spent 37, you're coming up on your 37th year of celebrating the opportunities in this industry. You've given a lot to the industry. I imagine the industry has given a lot back to you. Um, if you're future casting for your next five to 10 years in the business, whether it be personal um, sort of fulfillment and growth, or it be uh, leadership uh, as it relates to impacting other people in the industry or a prop tech, or you pick it, pick the theme. If you're forecasting out for the next five to 10 years, what would you leave our listeners and our viewers with as we sort of bring this thing to a close? Well, I, I love your vision board, by the way. So the, oh, it's, it's very reflective that you would ask for what's the future, right? And um, and the I believe in the vision board, and I've taught those classes. Um, one of the things I do with vision boards, you know, in that to kind of stir the subconscious, because we don't always have a conscious understanding of what's in front of us. And the vision board helps us put it out there and then kind of let it morph into something, right? Mm -hmm. And so my, if I had to build a vision board today of multifamily, you know, I, I do see that it would have um, the prop tech and the AI. And I, I see, um, you know, me staying in leadership roles, but more towards guiding and really, um, really helping that hero's journey, really people getting and keeping on that path. Uh, I'm, I'm a big advocate for uh, a career, our industry as, as, as a career. And I still, yeah. I think we've kind of gotten away from that a little bit in painting that picture with people. Um, and then the second part of my vision board would be um, more peace in there and really having those moments that we really have stepped back and we've said, look what we've done. Instead of a, a, a treadmill per se, um, or a, you know, um, um, the, the carrot and the stick, you know, more, more so celebration of, of accomplishment and for us to see how far we go every day that makes us better and different and Im improve. And so my vision for the future is that we inspire our people to see they're on a hero's journey, to see that they're part of something that's bigger than self, but knowing self so that they can trust themselves to be leaders in this industry for 37 years. Beautiful. That was beautiful. I, uh, I can't tell you, uh, I, I don't have the words to express uh, my gratitude for this conversation. I, I am so glad that it took a turn and was heavily weighted on, on leadership. Um, because I feel I, I literally have goosebumps right now. I feel like I'm taking so much away from this conversation and uh, that I'm going to apply to myself. Um, I'm going to 
look for those blue sky moments. Um, that, that story in and of itself was incredibly powerful, but I, I appreciate you. I want to acknowledge you for all you've done, uh, to, with the industry, uh, the self stuff, the, certainly the leadership stuff, certainly the prop tech stuff, but you are uh, an amazing individual and I appreciate you investing a little bit of time here with us on the multifamily collective podcast. Um, is there, you, you have to tell people where they can find you, where they can have these individualized conversations or, or even bigger conversations. Where, where do people find you online? They find, yeah. They find me at, um, L Russell, which is Lisa Russell, but it's L Russell at the future of leasing.com. Love it. It, well, it, is, it, is, it is my little what that I give that out as just my email for people that want to talk multifamily or want support or want a mentor or have an opportunity. Um, and I want to acknowledge you, Mike. And, and I say this because I do, I watch your stuff. I love the, just the, the 30 second blips of knowledge that you give. Um, it, it means something to me because, you know, I'm not in a, in an office environment that has the draw of other leaders. I am going to the multifamily women's summit next week to be around peers, but to be able to, to go on to the podcasts that we have on LinkedIn and yours that's in multi-formats, um, mm -hmm. just gives me that little nugget for the day and then something for my mind to kind of clear. Um, and it makes a difference. And I, I want to acknowledge you for that. And, and really, um, I had one question for you, which is, that you combine a lot of thought leadership and transformational, you know, self-experience with your multifamily. Um, and I, I believe that is a very, very futuristic way of being in the leadership space that we are in because it combines um, a little bit of all the different elements. And so my only question for you to end this is really, where do you draw that from for yourself? Like, where does that come from for you to really beautifully kind of combine kind of two separate elements um, that could be considered personal and professional, but how, where does that come from for you to, to really express that and, and, and share it? Uh, wow. That's uh I'll try to sum this up very swiftly, uh, but, but give it the merit that, that it deserves. That's a great question. Um, long story short, uh, I grew up in a broken home that was full of lots of chaos. And I, at a very young age, became a survivor. And I think it, it took me a lot of years to unpack uh, unpack the impact that that growing up uh, had on me or that environment had on me as I, as I was growing up. And I think when I got comfortable with uh, what had happened to me and I was able to be vulnerable uh, as it relates to that, and I was uh, along that path, I was also playing basketball, played at the collegiate level, 
uh, was surrounded by a lot of incredible uh, coaches and mentors in that space and, and, and found safety in that. I think all that sort of combined uh, for a platform for me to start really studying leadership uh, from a, a broader appeal. And then, so this childhood story married together with what became concepts and philosophies, but then ultimately practice got me to a point where I felt comfortable talking about it and lacing in personal with all of this knowledge that I'd gained out of books and certainly knowledge I'd gained out of experience. So I think it's hard for me to sort of pinpoint where it came from. I will go so far as to say, and, and this is only something I've been able to, to say outwardly uh, recently, is like, like I have a deep faith in God and I really draw a lot from that uh, sort of a Christ, a Christian belief system. Whether you believe in that or not, doesn't matter. That's where I draw inspiration and courage to actually speak into the world the way that I do based on all this stuff that I've experienced in my life. So hopefully that somewhat answers that question. <laughs> no, I mean, it's great. I mean, it gives, it, it gives a, a voice, right. And it gives, mm -hmm. it gives a foundation. And, you know, I, I believe that everything in our lives, it, it, regardless of the circumstances, um, do right. plant those seeds and, and, really is part of our human experience, you know, living in the, in this world. And so, uh, again, thank you for sharing that. It's, it's fascinating. Cause I, I always have had that underlying, like what's underneath the surface here of the golden nuggets, all the things. So thank you for the time and, um, let's do it again sometime. So just keep me updated. Absolutely. What's going on. <laughs> No, I've taken like, I literally have taken like five pages of notes that could turn into a whole other episode or several episodes. So I, I would love to have you back at some point because I think there's so much more to unpack in the world of leadership and, and other uh, topics. So yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, whatever anybody gets from this, this is what I tell them. Whatever worked for you of what I said, take it with you. Whatever I said that didn't work for you, leave it here on the podcast and don't carry it carry it. So take what you can and leave the rest. And, and that's, if we can, if we can do that with every one of our, our people in this industry and see that we don't have to take every piece of advice and we don't have to do every app prop tech out there. We don't have to do, you know, we can take what we need and let go of the rest. So, right. That is a perfect in cap. Lisa, thank you very much. Uh, for everyone else, we'll see you next time on uh, Collective Conversations.